So the study for the next um, uh, few weeks, um, we're going to be looking at the greater subject of redemption um, and getting in depth into some of those, uh, some of the specific components of redemption. And as we begin, I'm, I'm actually going to ask a question that doesn't really seem to be along those lines, but it's going to bear out the groundwork for this, this study. And so here's the question. Um, sometimes, well, before I get to the question, sometimes people will um, present um, questions, difficult questions, um, because we don't like the answer necessarily. And so they'll present difficult questions, and it will challenge us if we don't really know why we believe what we believe. And so I'll give you the example. If I ask you the question, um, here we are on the Day of Judgment, <clears throat> what is the fate, what is God's response, what is the fate of the one who has never heard the gospel? About the individual who is somewhere in some island community in the South Pacific or some location um, um, in the middle of the Amazon or somewhere in, in uh, the bush in Africa, somewhere in there, what is the fate of someone who has not heard the gospel? Not everybody at once. They're lost. Why are they lost? Everybody agree they're lost? That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Regardless of where we're at in the world, we could be right next door to someone who's been a Christian for decades. Okay. If we're not seeking the gospel, it doesn't matter whether we're in the Amazon or whether we're right next door. We're not, we're not. That's the idea, is that you got to want it. you got to want something more than what it is that you have here. Okay, so I think, so, so I don't want to get too far astray. I, I, I agree with what you said entirely. But as we, look at, as we look at that, what is the reason? Like, so if, if the answer is they would be lost, you were talking about the kind of the practical aspects of how they would go about it. My question is, is why are they lost? I mean, they haven't heard the gospel. Why are they lost? For me? They haven't been taught the word, but why does that make them lost? What? Huh? They're lost because of their sins. Okay, so then, so now we get, now, now, we're, now we're somewhere. So their sins are the reason for them being lost. So they haven't heard the gospel and they have sins. Why does, why does the fact that they have sins cause them to be lost? Why does sin separate us from God? That's correct. That's exactly right. Like I'm driving down to the root. Yes, that's exactly right. Sin separates us from God. Why does sin separate us from God? Because, pardon me? Because God is just. Okay, so that is a component, right? So God is just. Because all of the things come short. 
Okay, so we know that, so the reason why we know that individual is lost is because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so light cannot have fellowship with darkness. 1 John chapter 1 says God is light and in him is, okay, how much darkness? Right, so, so when you think about that, so here, so, but this is going back to the nature of God. Now, the situation is uncomfortable, is very unpleasant to think about that situation. And it almost, it almost seems unfair, almost, right? But now we can go through and we can discuss how God, through his providence, provides ways that if you seek, you will find, and, and that the gospel is available, and there, there's a whole host. But that, that, we're not really talking about that practical aspect. I want to drive down to the why. And so one component is justice. The next component is God is light. Pardon me? God is all holy. So what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Set aside, set apart, sanctified, right? So that means set apart from what? From sin. So when we think about the nature or the character of God in the study of redemption... It comes down, you have to start with the base of understanding the why. Because if we don't understand the nature of God and the why that this is happening, then when you get down further down the road, it just seems arbitrary why these things are occurring over here. Like, why does this even have to happen? Why does God do it this way? It doesn't make any sense. If it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't mean that God reveals everything to us. But he has revealed to us in his scheme of redemption, he has laid forth some of the reasons why. God is holy. So when you think about the creator, this all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present creator, like this is God. And God, by his very nature, God is righteous. So when you think about what righteousness is, it is the state of being right or correct or true or proper. So God is all right, is all, not he's all right, like Jesus is all right with me. No, he is, he is all right, okay? And then, only some of you recognize that song. And then um, God is all just, right, which Chase mentioned there. So when you say God is all just, what, is, what are the consequences? What does it mean to say that he is all just? God makes no mistakes. Okay, so he has to keep his word. God, there, God cannot lie. Okay. Justice requires punishment. Okay, so by the very nature of what is justice, that requires punishment. Justice does require reward. Justice is getting what you deserve. Okay? So when I go to the court, if I'm getting justice, I'm going to get what I deserve. If the justice system is indeed um, true and accurate and justice is blind and whatnot, that's not exactly, um, that's not going to be accurate uh, when you have men involved in any respect. But, but ideally, a, a true system of righteous justice would be that there is an element of you getting what you deserve. So God is all righteous, God is all just, God is all holy, 
And so with justice means that there must be, as I think it was um, Erwin who said it, must be punishment. There must be some sort of punishment. So getting what, that, that returning what is due, right? So when we say, so the Bible, so Romans talks about the wages of sin is, okay, if the wages of sin is death, right? So, so I, I, I go to work and I have a position and I sit in my desk and I don't do anything at all all day long, right? Did I earn anything? Okay. If I do work, right, and I, I earn, right, so by me doing work, Greg's grinning back there, by doing work, right, I, I earn a wage. A wage is what you deserve for what you have done, right? So the wages of sin, what you get paid for sin, this is the justice component, the wages of sin is death. That very same death that we're talking about, that eternal death, that being lost, that sin that separates us, that outer darkness, that weeping and gnashing of teeth, that away from God because sin separates us, right? Then there comes, so God, because He is all righteous, because He's all holy, because He's all just, then when there is sin, when there is transgression, when there is someone walking disorderly against His will, that sin must be addressed. It cannot be ignored. Because, for instance, hang on, I'll get right to you in a second. For instance, if I'm buddies with Sheriff Grady Judd, and I have the get-out-of-jail-free card, and I run around town at 140 miles an hour, and no one ever pulls me over, is justice served? Like, that's not right. Like, so, there, is a, there was a fellow who wrote a book a long time ago, and if you're ever into this stuff, you can read it. It's called The Law by Bastiat. And really, basically, in essence, what it's saying is, is, is you, the law has to also be accountable to the law. Like, it can't, it's not above the law. Just because you're a, an officer of the law, you can't be above the law. Well, me, I'm responsible to the law. I am accountable to it. And so, because of that, I'm going to be held accountable to that. There's going to be justice, there's going to be judgment, there's going to be punishment. And you think about God's very nature, if He's all holy... Right? What is God's feeling, so to speak? How does God feel about sin? He hates it. So when you think about God by His nature, like it is the it is the opposite. It is the antithesis. It is the it's the it's the absence of God is what sin is, walking disorderly, and God hates it. His wrath is poured out upon upon all, all his thoughts are against sinful actions that's what god cannot have fellowship he hates sin and so that's his that's his nature because he is all good all holy all loving now on this other side you have the other side of god's nature right so when we preach we should preach the goodness and severity of god if we focus solely on the severity of god we really get a a um, a skewed view of who God is, right? And that, that occurred in the 1700s, right? The Puritans came over. There was a fellow by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He wrote, he wrote a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And so I remember as a kid, I'm not sure why in public school we read it, but we read it, and so I still remember um, roughly the gist of it. It, it, seems, it seems an odd piece of um, uh, material to read in school, but nonetheless. And, and Jonathan Edwards depicts God as... as here he is holding man by the thinnest of spider webs, 
above the depths of hell, just waiting, just waiting for you to make one mistake to let you go and drop you into hell. And so as he focused on the severity of God, he painted, he paints a, a really one-sided picture of who God is, and some of what he talks about is true, and some of it is not. It's exaggerated, or it's a, it's a one-sided view. Now, conversely, I think that we know people who preach only on the love of God, right? Because now when we think about the goodness of God, so God is, what are some descriptions of God on the goodness side, right? God is what? God is love, okay? God is love. God is all gracious. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God is patient, long-suffering, right? We could, spend, we, could spend, we could spend all class just going through reading scriptures, right? And so some of this, like I'm laying the groundwork, and we can go and look at any and all these verses that describe God, but you're looking at the goodness and the severity of God. And when we look at the goodness of God, like I think if you only preach the goodness of God, you again have a skewed view. Like God is not this all-accepting grandfatherly figure who never, never, never gets upset, never has a, um, you know, never has a problem with anything you do, fully accepting of anything and everything that you do. He loves you unconditionally um, and accepts you unconditionally. And like you start painting this picture and then we see in society, right, how, how do children behave towards, towards grandparents that that have no, that, that there's no discipline, that there's no, that, that they are that all accepting. You see them taking advantage of them, running over, and that's what people do when you teach one-sided of God, right? So if you teach all, all of the goodness of God and none of the severity, you don't understand who God is. And it cheapens the gospel, and it cheapens the sacrifice that Christ made. If you preach only the severity of God, not the goodness of God, well then, you basically throw away God's love and the reason for the sacrifice that Christ made because this is motivated out of love. That's the reason. So when you think about this, this, this example of sin, right? So here's the issue with, with sin and with God, right? You have sin that separates us. And that sin separates us because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Let, let's turn to 1 John chapter 1, if you would. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Here's what, here's what the text says. This is the message which... This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, this juxtaposition of light and darkness, darkness is sin. Darkness is when we sin and we are in darkness. So he's saying here, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we, so when you're reading this, instead of saying if we, how about you replace it with the singular, if I, right? If I say that I have fellowship with him, being God, if I say I have fellowship with God and I walk in darkness and I, 
and I walk in darkness, I lie and do not practice the truth. So you see what he's saying there? He's saying, if I say, well, I'm in fellowship with God, but all the while I'm walking in darkness, I, I'm lying. I'm not in fellowship with God. God's not, God cannot have fellowship with me because the thing that separates me, my sins separate me. My iniquities separate me from God. God cannot have fellowship with sin. They're all, we can go back to Isaiah. We can look in Old Testament. We can look in New Testament. God cannot have fellowship with sin. And because he cannot have fellowship with sin, we can, then if we walk in, so that's a practice, that walking, that, that's a, that verb there is a continual action. If I'm going about walking in darkness, if I'm going about living a worldly life, and I say, well, I'm in fellowship with God, I'm lying. I'm lying to myself. I'm lying to those around me. I'm lying. I'm not in fellowship with God because God cannot have fellowship with darkness. And then he goes on to say, but if... If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. Now, that one with another is referring to us. That's who it's talking about. As, as John here, <coughs> excuse me, as John here is talking to, as he's writing to these Christians, he's saying to them, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. The reason why I'm in fellowship with you and the reason why you're in fellowship with me, the basis of our fellowship is our fellowship with God. Right? I may like you a lot, but if you're not in fellowship with God, then you're not in fellowship with me with respect to religious matters. Now, we might be, you know, we might be in the local bridge club together, right? And so I might see you or talk with you, but from a religious standpoint, you're, no you're, you're, you're not faithfully in the family. We are not in fellowship one with another. And it says, we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So what's interesting in this verse is, and this isn't really, this is just a, an aside, like I can't go to this verse without thinking about this because I have an underline. But if we walk, so this is a continual action, if we are walking in the light, is really what it means there, if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we are having fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us from all sin. These are continual actions. The continual action of Jesus' blood cleansing me is the same continual action that keeps me in fellowship with you, is, the same, is predicated on the continual action of me walking in the light. So it's not, I obey the gospel, I know what I need to do to be saved, I know what I need to do to wash away my sins. Okay, so I'm done. I've done all I need to do. No. Right? Am I wa I'm, I'm walking in darkness or I'm walking in light. There's only one, one of two options. And so God cannot have fellowship with darkness because he is light and in him is no darkness at all. So that's what separates. So God has no fellowship with sin and we, we then are separated from him because of our sins. And so let's, um, let me look at, um, let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Well, we'll do, let's go to 3, Romans 3.
We're just going to read three. We're not going to read any more. Then we'll go to a different chapter. We're going to jump around. Then we'll come back for context at a later point in time. Romans chapter 3. It was quoted a little earlier. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we've fallen short, we're separated from God. All have sinned. Now, flip the page. Maybe two for you. 6.23, which is what we mentioned. The wages of sin, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the wages of sin is death. There's the severity. But the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the goodness. The goodness and severity of God. So here we are. The wage is earned and the wage is death. What death is being referred to there in 623? Spiritual death. Okay. Anybody in here sinned and still alive? couple of head nods. Yeah, okay, yes, yes, we have, right? We've sinned and we're still physically alive, but when we sin, when we walk in darkness, spiritually, if we remove ourselves from God, we are the walking dead, so to speak. All right? That's what, that's what we become when we are walking in darkness. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's, that death there that it's talking about, that's eternal damnation. That's an eternity apart from God forever and ever and ever because God cannot have fellowship so but because God is all loving and gracious and merciful because he loves us what did he do he gave us the gift of God is eternal life and so that eternal life that he gives so the reason why people are lost they're separated from sin God is love we're saved by grace so when we look at Romans chapter 5 Look at Romans chapter 5. Start in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those are the people that are lost. So, so Christ is choosing to die for the people who are at enmity with him, right? Who are his enemies. Keep reading. For scarcely will a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for his own love toward us. So here's the goodness of God. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You think about the love of God, here he is, he's sending while we're at enmity with him. Right? So we are at odds, we are in rebellion towards him, we are in darkness, we are an anathema to him, we are God hates sin, here we are, but yet he loves us so much that he gave his only son as a gift. And then verse 9, much more, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from, from wrath. That's the justice side of God. So we see the goodness and the severity of God here playing in. So we're saved by grace through faith, right? And when you think about the things that we deserve and the things that we want, like I, I, desire, I desire mercy. I don't want to get what I deserve. Now, justice will be served, 
So how, that's, that's what we're going to look. How do we reconcile if God is all just and He's not going to bend any rules, right? God's not going to bend any rules. He's not going to just because I happen to know the judge doesn't give me the right to just go out and sin willingly. Now, we have some friends down the street that will say, well, you know, because he is, he's my judge, well, there's, there's nothing you can do. You can't, so, you can't sin so as to be lost because he's on your side. That's not what the Bible teaches. Right? What the Bible teaches is, is here, he is the judge. Justice will be rendered. So how do we reconcile the fact that justice will be rendered, punishment will be paid, and yet I have an opportunity for salvation? I deserve death. I deserve eternal death. When I sin, when I rebel against God, I deserve eternal death. My sins have separated me from God. The wages of sin is death. And with that, since I know that, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? That's John 3.16. Last quarter, Force is talking. He's asking about some of the various different verses and trying to get us to remember those verses for evangelistic purposes. Evangelistic purposes. In John chapter 3. So when we look at the nature of God and we look at who he is, everything that is going to be based off of who God is. If we don't understand who he is, that he is all good and he is all just, that he is gracious and merciful, but he's also all holy and all righteous. Right? So what God has done for us is that God has provided a way for that to basically to, to pay that penalty. So we're either going to pay that penalty or the penalty is going to be paid for us. So that's really where we, we start to look at what God is offering to us. And so we're going to spend, we still, we're, I'm still going to lay out what we're going to talk about, but the groundwork of who God is and the nature of God, the goodness and severity of God plays into our salvation and our redemption. Because God desires, who does God want to be saved? God desires that all men everywhere would be saved, right? So here's something that God wants that's not going to happen, correct? How do we know that's not going to happen? Pardon me? Okay. In fact, one of the twelve did, didn't turn out so good, right? They were saved except for the one that was lost, Judas, right? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, did we not do it? And what will he say? Depart from me, I, I never knew you. Many, many that will say. You think about that broad way to destruction, and many will go by, and that narrow gate that few will go by, right? So we see, we know that there's going to be many that are going to be lost and few that are going to be saved. Very few. And, though, and there are of those people who are going down that broad path, there are many that are going to say, wait a minute. Lord, didn't we do all these things? Didn't I believe all these things? Didn't I? Look, look at what I did for you. Depart from me. I never knew you. So it's not a matter of sincerity, right? Because on the day of judgment, right, these people, they were sincere, right? Because they're saying to God, wait, God, I did these things, 
Like, you're not going to say to the creator of the world something that you know to be a lie. Like, they believed, hey, look, look at these things that I did. Depart from me, I never knew you. So here they are, sincere, but sincerely wrong. You go back to our friend who's in the middle of the Amazon forest, right? Who is, who might have never obeyed the gospel. As Wayne pointed out, and that was in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in fact, we'll turn there and read that. We did not read it before. I did quote part of it, though. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 8, here's what the text says. In flaming fire, taking vengeance. So this is God. In flaming fire is going to take vengeance. Vengeance is what... What, um, what, what characteristic of God does vengeance come out of? Where does that wrath come from? That wrath that comes from His justice, the justice of God. So the justice of God, He's going to take vengeance on those who do not know God. There's our friend who's sitting out there in the, uh, in the Amazon. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel... Those are the people who God is going to take vengeance upon. The vengeance is not because they didn't obey the gospel. The vengeance is because of the sin that they've committed, right? You have, a, you have an infant, right? That little girl that I mentioned at the beginning of class, that that tornado ended up causing her to end up losing her life, right? She didn't obey the gospel. What is the state of her soul? Is she lost? She's not lost. Why is she not lost? Because, why? She hasn't sinned, right? What sin has she committed? She's not sinned. So because she has not sinned, she has not been separated from God. So it's not the, so. when we look at God taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who obey not the gospel, that's because of sin. That's where the vengeance comes in. That's because of the transgressions that have been had. So, so... Here's, here's the, the layout of the next couple classes so we can kind of think this process through. And I'm going to want a little more interaction from you all instead of just me talking, okay? So, so we laid very, very um, superficially the nature of God. There's the goodness and the severity of God. We have sin, which is an action that is, separates me from God. That sin that separates me from God, God cannot be in fellowship with me because of His righteousness and God will mete out justice to me, punishment to me, because of His justice. But God, because of His goodness, and because of His mercy, desires that all men everywhere be saved. He loves me, even though while I'm an enemy, even though while I am at enmity with Him, even though while I am rebelling against Him, He loves me so much that He made the ultimate sacrifice that I might have a way back to him. So what we're going to look at is why the sacrifice of his son, why does, why the sacrifice of his son addresses the justice of God, right? Because we say it, we understand, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Okay, why did he have to die? That's the question. So that's what I want you to think about, and so that's what we're going to look at next week is, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why couldn't God just go... Say this magic word, say the sinner's prayer, and you're good. Like, why, why would, and that's, that's something entirely different, but why, why wouldn't, why did Jesus have to die? 
Okay, that's what we're going to look at next week and try to see how Jesus' death plays into the fact that God wants everybody to be saved. He loves everybody, but the justice of God demands that punishment be meted out. Vengeance upon, fiery vengeance upon those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. That those that walk disorderly are going to be cast into the lake of fire. How, how do we reconcile those two? And how does Jesus' death have anything to do with bridging those two things together? That's what, we, that's what we're going to look at next week as we look at how God, through His grace and through His mercy and through His love, provides us and Him a way to have justice being satisfied and us being reconciled. Okay? So that's what we're going to look at next week. Does anybody have any questions for this week? No. <laughs> I didn't on purpose, but that's okay. We So, in fact, we'll read that, um, and, I didn't, and I just didn't read it because I didn't want to get off in the weeds on there, but we'll read Romans chapter 1. We'll read, we've got a couple, we've got a one minute here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. So what's God going to show to them? He, who He is, right? For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can't go through life and look around and think, this is by accident. Driving to work today, I was listening to the radio. They were talking about all these sea creatures they find down in Antarctica and how, um, how they, a, re a regular fish, you throw, yeah, that's right. You throw a fish that you catch in California, you throw it down there in those waters, it's going to freeze. But these things have like a special blood, an antifreeze. Like you look at... How do they live? It's the design that God has created. And because although they knew God, they recognized, yeah, there has to be something. This couldn't have happened by accident. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, look how smart I am, they became fools because a fool says there is no God, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made of corruptible man, and the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. These folks were making idolatrous images. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And he goes all the way through. And the reason why I didn't go all the way through this is because we're, we'll get to that maybe at the very end. But in essence, God has revealed himself. And if you seek you will find. And so God, I believe by God's providence, that He would provide a way if we so seek and we look around and realize what's going on. So, the goodness and severity of God and why did Jesus have to die, how does that bring those two characteristics of God together in one unifying act? That's what we're going to look at next week.